Welcome to Mod Path Chat, the official podcast of modern pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Welcome to a new episode of Mod Pass Chat. I'm pleased to be joined today by Dr. Rohit Mehra from the University of Michigan. Rohit is a friend and a clinical professor of pathology at Michigan Medicine, where he serves as the GU Service Line Director for M-Labs. I like the name, M-Labs. He is also the director of the MCTP, Esoteric Clinical Laboratory Services, uh, and uh, some of the product of the uh, lab uh, is what we're going to be discussed today. So today we'll be discussing his team's recent publication in Modern Pathology, identifying uh, TRIM-63 as a novel marker for MITF uh, renal cell carcinoma. Thank you, Rohit, for accepting my invitation. Uh, thank you, George, for this invitation. And it is my distinct uh, pleasure and privilege to be here today. And we are very excited to share our findings uh, again uh, uh, after this uh, publication in Modern Pathology. Thank you. Excellent. It's really uh, uh, a cool study. And uh, uh, I think it serves as a model how you develop, you can develop new markers for uh, uh, entities that pose a difficult question like uh, like translocation carcinoma or MITF uh, family uh, renal cell carcinomas. So tell me, uh, what is the, how, how did you go about uh, doing the study? Why you did it? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it exactly stems from what you said. I echo what you are saying that I think sometimes uh, these uh, uncommon or relatively rare renal tumors can be uh, uh, diagnostically a challenge. Uh, and, and they can sometimes show so much overlap with the common entities like clear cell RCC, clear cell papillary RCC, papillary RCC. And I, I think uh, it is important to have, if possible, some biomarkers which we can sort of annotate to each distinct tumor subtype. And based on the uh, genomic work uh, we have done uh, at our hospital uh, in Department of Pathology at MCTP, uh, uh, we have tried to develop a pipeline to interrogate diverse renal tumors. Uh, and uh, as part of this pipeline, uh, in, for, this, for the purposes of this study itself, we, uh, we interrogated and looked at the RNA transcriptome, RNA-based transcriptome uh, for a subset of MITF renal cell carcinoma. Uh, and we had about 14 cases where we looked at specifically their transcriptome and, and we compared that to genomic findings uh, of about close to a thousand TCGA uh, kidney cancer cases, uh, which have been profiled by the TCGA. And we also compared them to 50 in-house rare kidney cancer subtypes, which have been profiled by us at MCTP. So that was our, our overall sort of data set to begin with. Uh, based on this uh, Transcriptome comparison, we were able to nominate a, a subset of markers which are both overexpressed as well as underexpressed, specifically in MITF RCC compared to other kidney cancer subtypes. I and amongst, yes, and amongst these markers, there were three top candidates we had. And then we were struggling which one to choose because there is extensive workup involved for 
any one of these markers. So we ran a small pilot of about 50 cases. And out of in that pilot, we found uh, based on RNA-ish as well as genomic evaluation that CRIM-63 amongst those three candidates did the best. And that is how we decided to work up CRIM-63 specifically uh, for MIT-FRCC and then expand it to a larger cohort of about maybe 180 cases or so. So we'll get we'll get to the details of the design. So, so you did basically RNA-seq on, on these cases. And and you you found what is overexpressed, what is a top candidate overexpressed in 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 the type of tumor that you're looking out uh, for, which is in this case the MITF. So how you know share with us how because like you said, just because a, a marker is overexpressed, it doesn't mean it's going to translate into on the bench on a day to day to a good marker that is sensitive and specific. Is there an element of luck or what do you go by? You mentioned like the three top. You yes, could, you could have selected the second or third. So share with us if it's possible. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some some clues to how, how you zoom in on one out of the three. Yeah, that's a good and challenging question. We struggled ourselves. Uh, and you're actually right. It is tough to predict. Sometimes even the top nominated markers don't pan out, you know, and I think you are also very well aware of that, like you just said. Um, we, we, what we try to do is uh, uh, we ran a small pilot where we ran all these three markers on RNA using RNA in situ hybridization or RNA-ish utilization mm-hmm. technology. Uh, on about 50 cases, and in which we had a small subset of MIT, FRCC, and a small subset of all other cases. We also looked for expression in background benign kidney. So so using this small pilot, uh, we were able to figure out that uh, TRIM-63 is the most specific in terms of getting overexpressed in MIT, FRCC. And in our pilot, we almost saw no expression in any of the other kidney cancer subtypes. But the other two markers which we did, while they were expressed in MIT of RCC, we also saw few other cases of other subtypes getting uh, some expression levels. And that is when we thought that, okay, based on this pilot, it seems like this is likely the best candidate. So there was, uh, we can say it was a calculated move we made and thankfully it panned out. Uh, but yeah, it, it is definitely tricky. It's definitely not easy. Excellent. So uh, let's let's move then to the design of 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 the specific. How many cases uh, in total you did, and uh, did you do it on uh, yes. TMA whole sections or what have you? Yes. Yeah, so, so we we had a subset of cytogenetically confirmed cases, which I think we were about thirty or thirty one cases, uh, which included all three uh, genomically. Uh, well, uh, now categorized uh, subsets of MITFRCC, which, like you know, includes TFE3 translocation kidney cancer, TFEB translocation kidney cancer, and the recently uh, recently identified uh, TFEB amplified renal cell cancer. So we wanted to include all three subsets, and so and these three subsets are well represented in our cohort. We also had a another another cohort of cases, uh, which was. Uh, which was clinically, uh, morphologically, or immunophenotypically considered to be suspicious for MITFRCC and then underwent Finch interrogation. Uh, And that was another subset we used. And then we had a long list of cases 
uh, where we wanted to make sure that these cases don't express CRIM-63. Uh, for example, uh, we had clear cell RCC, papillary RCC, chromophobe RCC, some syndromic RCC, which can sometimes be overlapping, like, you know, in morphologic features with MITF RCC. So we wanted to have a good distinct subset of that. So, so I mean, yeah, I mean, the problem in, in renal cell, the more... It's, it's good that it's molecular-driven classification that we're moving toward, but in this, because really on morphologically, uh, it's becoming there is so much overlap in morphology that uh, we find ourselves, like like everybody else, uh, doing a lot of stains and a lot of yes, fat fish. Yeah. So, yeah, we are guilty of tell, the same. <laughs> tell me about the 70 cases that, that sounds like fell in that category. So these are the 70 that for some reason, either immuno or morphology, you thought you have to rule out translocation. Uh, so these, I take it, all of them turn out to be not translocation carcinomas? Uh, actually, so uh, no. Actually, so the way the way we we divided these cases uh, were uh, when we ran fish on these cases, uh, a small a subset of these cases indeed turned out uh, to be positive for MITF genes. And I think there were about maybe 16 cases, uh, but the majority were negative, like 49 or so were negative for, like you're saying, uh, for fish abrasions. And, and then we had three indeterminate cases where based on fish, actually we could not decide is it a positive case or a negative case. So all the 16 positive cases for fish were also positive for TRIM-63. Interestingly, amongst the 49 cases which were negative for fish, eight turned out to be positive for TRIM-63, which we were surprised at. And two out of three indeterminate cases were positive. Uh, we were able to look at a small subset of these surprising cases. And in one of those cases, which we were able to look at, there was a low-level TFEB amplification, which could probably explain why we were seeing TRIM-63. Very interestingly, we did do sequencing for one more case where tissue was available, which was fish negative. And we actually found a novel gene fusion for, for TFE3 in that case. So, so uh, uh, apart from these, uh, in our the previous 31 subset of cases, which are well mentioned, defined. Yes, and there were two cases uh, which were uh, fish negative, and they had the so-called cryptic intrachromosomal fusion of RBM10 with TFE3. But both of them were positive for TRIM-63 in a very strong, homogeneous, and diffuse fashion. So, so I think uh, we got encouraged by these results because it seems like, uh, it seemed to us that we were not only picking up fish positive cases, we were also picking up cases which maybe fish is missing maybe for different reasons. One of those could be intrachromosomal uh, fusions, uh, which sometimes uh, some intrachromosomal fusions or intrachromosomal translocations, uh, which like, you know, sometimes fish cannot pick up. Uh, and we were able to pick up those by TRIM-63. Excellent. So uh, what is the, so the calculated sensitivity and specificity. So it's, yeah. it's good to know that in these difficult cases, trim, trim seems to work, but overall? Yeah, yeah. Overall, based on the cutoff we use, which is a ROC curve-based kind of analysis, we came out with a cutoff. Uh, we use an H score, uh, which is 
one of the ways or a semi-quantitative way of assessing RNA-ish based gene expression. And on our age score, which was 168, uh, based on this cutoff, uh, we had an overall uh, sensitivity of about, I would say, uh, 90% or so. And, and actually, specificity was close to 100% based on this cutoff, which, which we felt was, uh, I know this is not thousands of cases, but based on the cases we did in this cohort, we were uh, we were happy to see that there was a high, more than 90% sensitivity and specificity for this marker. So the issue becomes then using H score, that's not something we use day to day uh, in our analysis uh, for immuno. We don't, we don't count number of positive with intensity. And, and so how, how do you see this translating if we wanted to, you know, this become usable in, in uh, standard laboratories? How is, are most of the cases either black and white, positive or negative for trim or uh, explain to us uh, some yeah, yeah. And that's a great question and I think and that is where advent of new molecular technologies also becomes a, a deliberation element uh, because because most pathology labs most surgical pathologists are very comfortable with immunohistochemistry and you're right we generally don't use a product score in those uh, uh, but I feel most of us still do, in our heads at least, some sort of a semi-quantitative assessment for protein expression as well. Right. When we call something focal or, or moderate or strong, we are sort of signing a number. I feel RNA-ish is becoming a more and more utilized technology in different labs. I, I believe it is already available in most of tertiary hospitals. Some bigger community hospitals, private labs are also adopting it. It does, with, it does come with a small element of training where we have to get used to these uh, RNA signals uh, where each signal actually, or each brown dot represents a RNA transcript, which I find fascinating that we are able mm -hmm. to actually visualize an RNA transcript under the microscope. I, 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 I just love this phenomena. And, and how many dots we see that essentially translates for us to an H score. So there is a small amount of calculation involved, but it is doable. And we, we do this now on a daily basis. So we are getting uh, used to it, but it does come with a little bit training element. I will make one comment though. Uh, we tried several antibodies for TRIM-63 Mm -hmm. And the ones we tried actually did not give us good results, which would let us move forward. So we did try that. And 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 I think uh, now uh, it's possible there are more antibodies out there because TRIM-63 gene is what codes for the TRIM-63 protein. It's called, also called MURF1, M-U-R-F-1 uh, protein. It is known to be involved in muscle, uh, muscle uh, homeostasis. Uh, uh, at that point, we did not see good antibodies, and but RNA-ish worked out really very well for us. So I think this is a good technology for labs to keep on the radar and try to incorporate in their daily practice. And uh, I guess the next study will be reproducibility inter-observer, right? Yes, absolutely. What you're yeah. calling positive or negative. So, yes, yes. I think, but, yes. So definitely that is something down the line which will be needed. Absolutely. And uh, and do you see a role uh, in general, not just not just for trim, and in, in general, if we're going to start using RNA 
ish uh, a role for digital uh, image analysis and all that in in helping us in quantification and classification of positive negative uh, i i i do think that is coming as well uh, we i feel that um, especially with advent of ai uh, i think uh, which is i think it is there in in geo world especially prostate world it is out there and i think modern pathology has had some great publications recently in terms of both ai as well as in thank realm you, of thank you for the plug we'll take it yeah. yes yes and i think especially in terms of genital urinary cancers i think uh, i know there are three platforms ai based platforms already which are now offering prostate biopsy interpretation aids which are all ai based a lot of ki67 counting tools are there ai based so i feel uh, initially probably there will be some digital pathology kind of platform which could help pathologists do this and i'm hoping ai can come up with something like that as well having said that i still feel uh, while there is a there is a small learning curve in assessing rna ish uh it is not something which pathologists uh, cannot handle on a day to day basis it is it is not very time consuming uh it, it does take uh, some focus obviously but that is part of what we do and it is definitely doable but can get complemented by digital and ai pathology excellent uh, one last question so you uh, you mentioned the sequencing so, so in general in translocations or in kidney uh, i know we're using archer technology here is that what you're using for translocations in general or you solely rely on fish uh, so uh, our clinical in our uh, in our mlab based clinical enterprise we are uh, doing uh fish based only we have we have the break apart, break apart strategy mm -hmm. for both tfe3 as well as uh, TFEB genes. Uh, and using the same break-apart strategy for TFEB, we are also able to evaluate for TFEB amplification, uh, renal cell carcinoma, which like you know, is not like the best way because the best gene amplification is determined through locus control probes. But somehow our field has evolved and utilized uh, TFEB break-apart for probably for ease, uh, 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 the same probe set for amplification as well. So in our clinical enterprise, we do have uh, only currently TFE3 and TFEB uh, uh, fish-based analysis. Having said that, we are able to perform deep sequencing uh, under our MyOncoSeq initiative. And uh, so we can uh, do a very comprehensive uh, analysis at the DNA, RNA level uh, using that. Uh, that methodology. Also in our clinical uh, clinical uh, molecular genetics lab, I think we are currently in the process of bringing on TFE3 as well as TFEB uh, sequencing-based uh, gene fusion analysis as well. Excellent. Well, Rohit, thank you very much and uh, keep up uh, the great work. Uh, you've uh, since the days you were a resident or fellow, you, you contributed to the field and uh, we're all thankful to your uh, work and diligence. And uh, it's been a pleasure to have you. And I'm sure our authors enjoyed this. And thank you very much, George, for the good word. I think uh, you and a lot of, you know, uh, GU gurus have taught me a lot and I, I always look forward to learning more. And, and I think I would just take this opportunity also to thank my collaborators uh, at University of Michigan, especially uh, my colleagues, uh, Mindy, Rahul, uh, Arul uh, Mohan, uh, I think, and our other members at Department of Pathology and MCTP 
uh, I think without which this would not be possible. And also our our, our uh, inter-institution collaborators from uh, John Hopkins, Memorial Sloan, Catherine Cancer Center, Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, and, and all other collaborators and friends. I think without which, uh, I don't think, I think it's a village which which is which needs a village to do these kind of studies and uh, i'm very grateful for their collaboration thank you very much very well said thank you thank you any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of modern pathology springer nature uab or uscap your mod path chat host and scientific director is dr george netto producers are christina crow amber jackson dr sarah jang and dr katherine ketchum Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.